Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Stephen Lamke of The Constantines has just released a fine new solo album. We are creatures of quick need. It's called Days of Heaven. Stunned by beauty. It's out now via You've Changed Records. To the quickening beat. Visit your local record store to pick up a copy or check out you'vechangedrecords.com for more information. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Truth, He Named Me Malala, Free Held, Mistress America, and more. And on Wednesday, November 25th at 8 p.m., the Bookshelf presents an appearance by esteemed author Margaret Atwood at War Memorial Hall on the University of Guelph campus. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario. Guelph is a fine city located an hour west of Toronto, right off of Highway 401, So if you're on the road, consider stopping by Guelph. It's a lovely city full of books and pizza and podcasts. More information about the bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca.
Tony Levin is an accomplished musician who originally hails from Massachusetts. A noted bassist and master of the polyphonic chordal guitar, the Chapman Stick, Levin has appeared on over 500 albums by people like John Lennon, Alice Cooper, Paul Simon, Peter Gabriel, Pink Floyd, Sarah McLachlan, and Lou Reed, among many others. In 2013, he became an official member of the pioneering progressive rock band King Crimson, whose current tour includes a three-night stand at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre in Toronto on November 19th, 20th, and 21st. Here to discuss some of these things is Tony Levin. Hi, Tony. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Thanks for uh, giving me some time and, and chatting. Oh, no problem. Now, where in the world are you right now? Right now, I'm in, in the strangest of all places. I'm home. <laughs> I, I happen to be on a 10-day break between tour legs. I've been touring a lot with King Crimson and with my band Stickmen, yep. and uh, and luckily just had 10 days at home. And home for me is Kingston, New York, which is not awfully far from Toronto, but uh, between New York City and Albany. We call it upstate New York, but I won't even mention the word north to a Canadian. <laughs> it is upstate New York, though. That's a That's a lovely part of the state. I don't know. Is, is it a well-populated area where you are? It's, it's, it's a lovely place, especially in this season, the leaves. I'm looking out my window at great leaves. And uh, yeah, for musicians especially, I, I live in the city of Kingston, but nearby is the town of Woodstock, famously. And a whole lot of musicians like me moved to Woodstock uh, decades ago to be in a musical community. So it's a really cool place. We have the Catskill Mountains. It's very nice. And uh, yeah, it's a good place to live in. And sometimes I'm actually here, which is great, but I do love touring and playing my music. And you're kind of near uh, New Paul, New York, I guess. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, very near. Yeah, and that's where, uh, if I recall correctly, that's where Big Pink is. Have you ever been to the Big Pink, the thing where Bob Dylan and the band? Uh, I've been there. Yeah, Big Pink is a house that's in Woodstock, not New Paul. Oh, it's in, in it's in it's in Woodstock. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's I've, sort of a barn, a barn-like house, and uh, yeah, I've been there. I've been there myself as well. It was kind of magical, and I imagine the the people living there don't think it's magical, and people like you and I are <laughs> tramping around there. Uh, I don't know. The, I don't know the people who own it and live there now. And, and actually, it's quite a few years since I was there. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's got quite a vibe because of what came out of it musically. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, King Crimson has uh, endured a number, a number, numerous changes around Robert Fripp since the band formed in the in the '60s. How did you end up in in King Crimson? Through luck, I, Robert asked me to join the band in 1980. I think it was 1980, but I think of 1981 as the year that uh, I met uh, Bill Bruford and Adrian Ballou. We rehearsed a whole lot, and we did that album called Discipline. Yeah. And then Robert liked it so much that in an unprecedented thing for King Crimson, we actually kept the same lineup for two and then three albums and a lot of touring, and that was great fun. And, and I always, I've always considered it an honor to be part of King Crimson in any way, and it's been a terrific uh, learning experience for me because of the, the high caliber of musicianship of the other guys. Now, I in my intro, I suggested that you became an official member only uh, two two or three years ago, 2013, uh, but you started working with him in 1980. Was, am I accurate? Is that an accurate fact that it, it took a long time to become an official member of King Crimson? I, I never heard it put that way. I, I don't. Uh, I don't actually think about terms like that. <laughs> but uh, I'll put from my point of view. I will say that in 1981, I became a member of King Crimson. Yeah, and then in a, sometime around 1980. Six, we broke up, and then in 1990, I'm guessing now, 1994, uh, Crimson was reformed by Robert again, but with different, uh, a little bit different lineup with six of us. And then in 2000 and uh, 
in the, I think in the year 2000, there was a tour that I couldn't do, and, and Robert suggested that from then on I'd be considered the, what is his word, the, 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 fifth, uh, the fifth man in a four-man group. So I still felt like, I don't know about the word official, uh, that kind of makes me twitch, but I still <laughs> felt included in the band, but I was not in the year 2000, and then on, I was not included in the lineup of the, or I was not in the act of King Crimson. So, and then in 2008, we reformed yet again with uh, uh, six guys, mostly the same, but with the addition of Gavin Harrison, and toured as King Crimson in, I think, 2008 and nine. I could be wrong, it could have been 2006. And then a, a couple of years ago, when Robert emailed me and asked if I would like to be in the new lineup of King Crimson, I was yet again thrilled. So uh, how the word official fits into any of that, I don't know. The internet wants me to believe that it was official in 2013, uh, and I, I don't okay. know why the internet is doing that to us. It, it sounds like you've had a long-standing relationship. Now, were I you... have no objection to that, <laughs> but it's not really my area of expertise. Right, right. Now, were they a band that you admired before playing with them? Not really. It wasn't uh, up on my radar. I met Robert when we both played on Peter Gabriel's first solo album in 1976, and I heard his music, but uh, I was kind of busy with other music and other kinds of music. And then I got to play on Robert Fripp's solo album. I'm not sure what year, I'm guessing in the late 70s. So actually, I had between touring with Peter and playing on Robert's solo album, I had a little history with Robert, and I was familiar with his way of writing uh, before I was asked to be in the 1981 lineup. And what is it actually like working with Robert Fripp? Pretty, pretty special. Obviously, I'm still enjoying it after I haven't done the math, but the 1981 until today, <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Uh, Robert's very special. He has a wonderful sense of, uh, a unique sense of how he wants to do his music, a unique sense of how he plays his guitar, and a unique sense of the right way to run a band. He is very, we don't call him the leader of King Crimson, but he surely is the leader, and, uh, uh, it's it's ethic comes from him and it's direction comes from him and and frankly in my opinion that makes a band easier to work with when it's clear where the direction comes from so uh, I, I have a great amount of respect for Robert's musicality and where he takes us in the direction that he deems is the correction is the direction that King Crimson needs to go in is it a situation and, and let's so, Let me add to that that he's also very good at finding the right players to go in the direction that he needs to go in with the music, and that makes it much more pleasant. You don't what you don't want ever is to have players who are very good, but they're asked to play style or a way that they're not comfortable with and that they don't do. Well, and that's never the case with King Crimson. He's he's really brilliant at finding the right guys, and that's especially. Uh, apparent in this lineup where we have three drummers, Bray, maybe you've heard that, but it, it, not any three good drummers would, would enjoy playing together or would be able to fashion a new approach to rock drumming, which is what these three guys have had to do. And under Robert's uh, guidance, and really it was Robert's idea, but he trusted those three particular drummers to be able to bring it to fruition, which I feel they have. And I think that anybody who's seen our live show is comes away really, if nothing else, comes away really impressed with the way the drummers have found a new approach to drumming in a rock context. Yeah, I don't want to diminish any other of any of the other drummers, but you, are you still playing with Bill Rifflin? Because that guy is a monster. Hey, Bill Rifflin is, is a monster, and he's sitting right in front of me on stage. There are three drummers, Gavin Harrison, Bill Rifflin, and Pat Mastelotto. 
And interestingly, they are at the front of the stage. The drums stretch all the way across the stage. Bill's in the center. And uh, he also plays a little Mellotron in addition to, uh, actually quite a bit of Mellotron, in addition to the drumming. Uh, he's excellent. And, and, and so the audience really gets to watch this amazing, um, I don't know what kind of circus act of three drummers and how they divide <laughs> up the parts in, in many different ways. Sometimes a single drum fill will go across stage from left to right. And sometimes they break up, break up the part in different ways and they take turns featuring each other all within one piece. So that's quite an interesting part of our show. And, and then the, the four others of us are on a riser behind them. And we get to, of course, participate uh, in the music a lot, but also we get to see the three drummers do their thing. Now, as a longtime session player, you've, I'm sure you've had the experience where a musician, uh, the composer, has a specific idea of a part they'd like you to play. I'm sure there have been other instances where they're just like, come up with something. In King Crimson, where are you at? Uh, are you is Robert guiding you the whole way? Or are you given a free for, like a freedom to explore uh, parts? That's a first of all, that's a very astute question because that is a big part of one's life when one does two sessions and and when one is in a band. It's a big big part of it, and it's an interesting factor that not many people would have thought about asking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and let me first say about the studios, even though that's not exactly what you asked it that I'm the kind of bass player that if somebody gives me an idea of, of a good bass idea, I'm thrilled to do it. I'm, it. It doesn't have to have come from me. However, if someone gives me a bass idea that's, or, or does a bass demo that just doesn't work for the bass player part of me, then I, I will try to change it and I'll try and give it what I feel it needs. How, uh, so that's, that's the situation when I'm doing a record for somebody. In King Crimson, it's it's a pretty unique situation. Robert, most of the pieces that Robert brings in, he either has thought of a bass part or he it's kind of built into the music. The guitar line is is strong enough that it sort of determines what I might play. And we have a, a wonderful working relationship where I am sure Robert respects me enough to let me determine what in the end will be that bass part. So in the end, sometimes I stick exactly to what Robert has implied mm -hmm. or actually written, mm -hmm. and sometimes I completely change it. And in every case, uh, he's been happy with what I did, and, and that's partly why it's such a good working relationship making music with King Crimson for me. Nice. Well, that's great to hear. Now, King Crimson's music has been called progressive rock, and I'm curious what you make of that term. This is a, a term that was coined many, many years ago to describe this sort of new sound. What do you make of that term? Uh, it's like all all genre names. It's a little uh, fraught. It has a history that it goes in different directions. And and I'm uh, as usual. I'm no expert. I'm really immersed in playing the music. And when it comes to genres and names and what's going to happen and what's happened in the past, I'm not much of an expert. I will say that to me, yes, King Crimson is progressive rock. I avoid using the term prog rock, which is a short. In a way, it's a short term for the same thing, but in a way, prog rock has come to me to signify the progressive rock of the 70s, late 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. uh, and a specific time in progressive rock. And King Crimson is, is a, a great example of someone who, even though they were there at that time, King Crimson does not want to play that way anymore. And so I, I don't want to imply by labeling a band that it is playing that way. So... I, Maybe a simpler way to say it is I feel like King Crimson is actually a progressive band making progressive music, by which I mean moving ahead and not doing what it's 
done before, or at least attempting to move ahead and not do what it's done before. And uh, uh, I agree that the the term progressive rock is a little complex because even though it it should mean moving ahead, it has come to refer to a, a very powerful uh, time in the history of rock where prog bands and progressive band Genesis and King Crimson and and Pink Floyd even were and yes were, were notably yes we're making uh, music that's still kind of in the forefront of our minds so we kind of think of that style when we think of that name now you have Phew, worked... that was a long answer <laughs> <laughs> that was perfectly fine I actually appreciate your the distinctions you're making there and it does come it does uh, draw my attention to the fact that you have actually played with many of the bands you just mentioned. You've played with King Crimson, you've played with members of Yes, you've played with Pink Floyd. What do you suppose it is about your playing that draws these particular kinds of artists to you? Uh, that's a good question, but I don't really know. I'm, I'm, In spite of the long answers I give you, I'm really at heart just a bass player. I'm playing my music <laughs> the best that I can. I'm, trying to, I'm always trying to learn and try to actually be challenged and become a better player. I'm still the same now as I was as a kid in that sense. I don't feel like I've arrived at the best way that I can play, and I'm always practicing and trying to get better. And if people call me to play on their records, whether it's progressive rock or something else, I'm always uh, thrilled. And if the music is good, I'm I'm honored and, and glad to be part of it. And I never really stop and look at the overall picture and wonder why they called me or even how they got my number or, or email or something like that. You're happy for a call no matter what. If it's good music, I'm you. I'm a happy guy. Yeah. <laughs> if it's good music, yeah. Now, yes. some people, you know, you know, uh, who hasn't been mentioned in this is is uh, my friend Larry Gowan or Gowan. Uh, oh, from Canada. Guy called guy. Yes, guy called me out of the blue a long time ago when he was making his first record. I guess he had listened to Peter Gabriel and and wanted that style of bass playing on his music, and, and it ended up in uh, being a long term musical relationship and personal one. And uh, thank goodness that I'm not the kind of uh, player who who would say, well, I haven't heard of you, so I'm not interested. You know, I just, he had really good music and I was uh, happy to be along for the ride. And, and uh, I've been thrilled ever since by what I learned from Larry Gowan. And, and I, I think once or twice when I played Toronto with my own band, I had him come and sit in and surprise the audience. It was great fun. Have you, you, you say you're friends with him. Have you kept up with, uh, with Larry Gowan? We haven't heard from him in a while, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, he's he he tours a lot with sticks, so he's he's busy not doing his solo stuff. But I imagine, uh, I think it's a few years since I did any solo tracks from him, and I didn't uh, keep up with whether he's released them yet. Uh, I could find out and get back to you, but I'm sure he's musically wow. busy. He is that kind of person, and if you haven't heard about it, it's just a coincidence. He's uh, he he he's had some pretty massive singles in Canada. Or he had them, and and then he seemed to. Yeah, I had heard that he was playing with Sticks and some other people, but yeah, he seems to have uh, stopped with his solo uh, work. So yeah, anyway, I, I haven't heard anyone ask. No one's mentioned Larry Gowan in a while, so it's interesting. Well, now I have, and let, let's put him back in the front row. He's great. <laughs> I think he's a great musician. Now, some people, including many punk rockers, have treated uh, pr progressive or prog rock with derision because of its complexity and perceived self-seriousness. And I know that you earlier were kind of saying, I don't know, these genre names or the genre names I just like to play. But I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on musical elitism as it relates to accessibility for aspiring musicians? Because some people really gravitated towards more simple music just to get them in the door, and then when they were confronted by these very complex songs, they found them to be a little intimidating. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting subject. I rarely think directly about that, but I'm pretty pretty in touch with the fans of, of our music and of my music. I, I tour a lot. I make my own albums, but I also tour a lot with Stickmen, which does King Crimson pieces, and, and our Stickmen music is a little bit similar to King Crimson. It, it's not the easiest music in the world, and uh, uh, I don't really have the answers for any of that, but I think... Uh, Sometimes I think a lot of progressive music has been. Well, I forget the word you use a good word. If it's pompous, for me, I don't really like it. If it's pretentious, I don't like it. However, things can be a little complex and challenging. Challenging, challenging, challenging is a good word for it. Right. They can be that way and still not be pretentious and and be honest and just be the music that that band likes making. And then it can be an interesting challenge to listen to it. And I often feel with King Crimson and with Stickman that we are a little challenging for the audience to different degrees, sometimes not so much, but to, to some degree it's challenging. So it's not the easiest music to wrap your head around. Right. However, fortunately, we have found an audience who is willing to uh, do that musical mental work and and. And hopefully, in if the world, if the music in the world is working the way we want it to, or I want it to, then they are rewarded with, they're rewarded from that by the fact that it, similarly with classical music, if it's if it doesn't work easily the first time around, and you listen to it two, three times, and you start to really love it, then, then that music, in a way, hits you at a deeper place than the music that you like the first time. And are you really going to like it the 20th time you hear it? Right. I'm right. not saying that that's the rule all the time, but certainly the simplest pop songs and music that stick in all of our heads, uh, they might stick there, but they don't They don't hit us in a deep place and they don't last in a deep place, in a meaningful place. And so each each listener, each music fan, like myself, uh, kind of pick, is constantly picking the the uh, making choices of how deep you want to go in, how much you want to sacrifice, how hard you want to work, or how much you want to challenge your ears to new stuff and to be open to new stuff. And, and like any fan, like anybody who's been uh, turned off by pretentious music, I'm the same. I, I hear music all the time, and if it's just too too uh, wrong for me, then I go away from it. And um, I feel very lucky with Thick Men and with King Crimson that we have our own audience. I would like to think that it's growing, but I don't really know that. Right. And the sense I get, the important thing is the sense I get from the fan. I play a lot live and the sense I always get from, the, I could add Peter Gabriel to this because he doesn't take the easy route. Of course, because he's singing a song that you can be emotionally relate to. It's a little easier to relate to, but he does, he doesn't just do hit records and, and, and singles and stuff like that. Far from it. He challenges his audience in different ways. And, and the feeling I get in all of those cases is the audience is uh, indeed pleased with the experience. Now, speaking of audience engagement, a few years ago, Kanye West sampled 21st Century Schizoid Man for his song Power. And I'm curious if you can speak to what impact that might have had on King Crimson, uh, what Robert might have thought of it, what you thought of it. Uh, can you speak to that? I don't really know anything about it. I heard. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It happened. I don't know what Robert thinks about it, and I couldn't speak for him anyway, so it, it really had no impact on on me or the band as far as I know. Okay. It just seemed like everyone all of a sudden, it was the first single from... Uh, one of his greatest albums, and suddenly everyone yeah. was talking about King Crimson again. Yeah, I didn't know. Sorry, <laughs> the truth a... is, it just went right past my head, and I didn't, I didn't know. You, you, you're somewhat <laughs> insulated from. Is King Crimson engaged with the perception of King Crimson, or or what's going on about King Crimson outside of actually doing? Well, you know, the guys read the web <laughs> to different degrees, and and probably different. There's seven of us in the band. Probably different guys know to a different degree what people are saying. I don't pay much attention to what people are saying unless it hits my Facebook page or something. Let me say that that's sort of a figurative speech. Figuratively <laughs> speaking, if it hits me, then I'm aware of it. And I still really don't care. And I don't spend too much time. I'm really busy and really kind of challenged with just trying to make good music and keep up with the the musical opportunities I have. And even though I spend plenty of time fashioning web updates and things like that, uh, I don't really pay as much attention as I could to what other people are saying, right. even about me or my or the bands I'm in. Okay, that's fair. Now, you've worked with many icons on albums that are considered classics, including John Lennon's final album, Double Fantasy. And, you know, at the risk of homing in on one particular thing of the many, many things you've made, I'm curious, what sticks out in your memory about those sessions? Well, my my memory of them is... is uh, uh, it's been a lot of years, so really it's down to the many times I've answered that question. I don't mind the question, but in fact, it's, it's prob probably very, it's the question I'm most often asked. Uh, typical for me, I didn't really ask why I even appeared on those sessions. Somebody asked me to be part of the band, and so I showed up, and I remember meeting John and saying hi to him, and he said, just, he said to me, just don't play too many notes and we'll be okay. And I said, don't worry, I don't play too many notes. <laughs> and we had a good musical relationship for the short time that it lasted. Uh, I, I'm guessing it was two or three weeks of sessions. And uh, I was in touch with them a little bit after that because uh, there was talk of a world tour that would have happened. And uh, I found John very easy to work with. And, and, you know, it was obviously it was a treat to hear a John Lennon song, essentially like a Beatles song, and, and get to have the the joyful opportunity to make up a bass part to it—that was just a treat on every single song. So there was that. Uh, the vibe was good amongst the musicians. The band was a little large. Actually, some of the most fun I had was on one weekend when we did redid some of the songs with the, a couple of the Cheap Trick players, yeah. Rick and Bunny and me, and we did them in a much more rock way. Uh, less of a pop rock way and more of a rock way. And I really enjoyed that. Although I don't think those ever came out, those versions. Um, 
so that's about all I have to say about it. Like everyone else, I was devastated when the tragic uh, death happened. And uh, it's it's kind of a, a little chunk of my life that's been with me ever since that that uh, the the repercussions of that. Yeah, by that point you'd been working with people that we now view as you know pretty iconic. Was it pretty? Was did that stick out when you meet John Lennon? Was that a moment for you? Was that weird? <laughs> no, no, but that's just kind of partly, mostly due to the way I am. I'm just, uh, I'm not really a fan guy. I'm not a guy who gets overwhelmed easy. I, yes, I've worked with a number of famous people, and uh, you know, I don't really get all shaky and worried about it. I just uh, look forward to if the music's going to be good. That's really important to me. Yeah, you're there to and, do a uh, job. You get not a, not. A, not in a, I wouldn't use those words because that feels like a, in a work a day. <laughs> right, you know, I, sure. I'm there to to be part of something that's very special to me, whether it's a guy I never heard of named Larry Gowan who's making his first record, or whether it's John Lennon. Right. It's, in a way, it's the same to me. Right. Uh, I, I, not exactly the same. Of course, I realized that <laughs> he was famous, and and you know there was a little more security around the, the session. And weirdness, frankly, because, uh, you know, we weren't supposed to tell, we were supposed to, we were asked not to tell anybody where, where we were recording or who it was for and things like that. Sure. But uh, essentially people are people and, and yes, the man was a great man and yes, he influenced me a lot musically before I met him, but uh, we met on a, in a comfortable musical atmosphere like every record session I do and every band and every rehearsal where... Uh, uh, you know, things are comfortable, right? Unless I mean, unless there's trouble with the music and and you can't find the right groove, then that's what, that's what becomes uncomfortable, and that's what becomes our job is to to try and solve those problems. Right now, you mentioned that people often ask you about that session. Is there any other particular highlight or something that people don't ask you about that comes to mind for you as a session player? That you know, something that you're like, you know, everyone wants to know about John Lennon, but my goodness, I did this one thing and it was unbelievable. No, no, I think uh, <laughs> uh, the truth. Of, the truth of it is, I'm, I'm, as you're beginning to sense from talking to me for a little while, I'm really busy doing my music, and I don't spend any of my time looking back at my career. Hmm. But it's, it's not really in, that interesting to me. The times that I do that is when when I'm on the phone and and talking uh, to the press and doing something where usually they have some specific things they want to know about, and I do that to because it's interesting to them. It's re actually, frankly, not very interesting to me to, to go back through my history. You're a forward-looking guy. Well, I'm a musician. You know, we're all, I think we're all, most of us are the same in that we're, we're very good at focus and, oh, gosh, i got to learn this certain way to play this riff or yeah. I have to learn these pieces for the upcoming tour. And, and we're really good at that and a little bit looking forward. And most of us don't spend, I, I can't speak for everyone, most of us don't spend a lot of time saying to, to ourselves, well, 20 years ago, I played this riff and it was really good. So I'm just going to play that again. Right. Okay. You know, I'm not that kind of person. Okay. Well, looking ahead, what's next for you and King Crimson? I mean, it's been a few years since a record came out. What do you have? Uh, can you divulge any plans? Or well, any King Crimson, King Crimson, first of all, let me say that when any musician predicts the future, we're, we're talking about the likelihood of the future because it's not like other professions we Things get canceled a lot. Albums right. don't come out. Tours get canceled. Health has to do with whether you can do your touring. So I'll, I'll tell you that King Crimson is for sure going to do a wonderful tour across Canada, and then we're going to go to Japan, and we'll, we'll finish that tour right about Christmas time, and that's going to be wonderful. And uh, 
we will definitely we have plans to tour next year, not in the first half of the year. I don't know where that tour will take us. It's not booked yet. I'm sure management is talking now about where that should be. So I don't really know. But we do have plans to do that. We do not have plans to do a studio album, but we are assembling slowly more and more uh, original new material. So that would be a possibility. But okay. I have not heard anybody talk about that. And in, in fact, it's not up to me anyway. Uh, and so that's you, the King Crimson. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, are you playing any of the new material live? Yes, yes. Uh, specific, each show, we do a little different material, especially with two or three shows in the same city. We we change some the set list out a little bit, or as much as we can. But mo- almost every night we do uh, two pieces, one called Radical Action and one called Meltdown. We do them back to back, so in a way they can sound like one long piece, if you if you don't happen to know that they're different. Uh, <laughs> okay. And those are, are new. In addition, we, we had some new pieces last year, not many, two or three, that we sometimes do, but but not always. But those two we always do. And then if you count the drum pieces, uh, the, some of our pieces begin by the three drummers writing a piece. Hmm. And and those are open for us to contribute to and might, might become, in the future, new pieces. And we do two or even three of those every night. Oh, okay. And then some some nights we do uh, what must sound like very much like an improv with uh, Bill Rieflin kind of conducting us from the front center of the stage. And that's completely different every night if we do it. So it, it can vary from minimum of two to up to five or six, I think at the most five new huh. pieces. That's, uh, that sounds very invigorating. That's very cool. I think it's a good balance. I think because we're doing a lot of classic material and, and we're trying to do it in our own new way, but I think it's appropriate to have a little improvisation and to have a little new material that nobody's heard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to let people know King Crimson are on tour across Canada in November, including a three-night stand at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre in Toronto on November 19th, 20th, and 21st. And, and Tony, you're doing lots of other Canadian dates. I must be, I, I don't know what you think of Canada. Do you enjoy touring Canada? Of course. Love it. Why not? <laughs> Why not? And, uh, and I, I, I'm, it's, I'm only four-hour drive from you. Or so far from Montreal, I'm a little bit east of you guys, but uh, yeah, I go up there a lot. Oh, okay, I love it. that's great. And, and by the way, let me say that Canada has always been one of the warm homes for progressive rock and progressive rock players. So, so we have a we have a lot of appreciation of that fact from going way back. Would you Would you deign to say that Canada might be a strange animal? <laughs> well put. <laughs> it is a strange animal lurking somewhere in the north. That's right. Yes. <laughs> For more information about their upcoming Toronto shows, uh, visit queenelizabeththeatre.ca. Uh, Tony, I hate to put you on the spot, but I think I've been doing that for the last half an hour anyway, so maybe you're used to it. Is there a song by King Crimson we can go out on right now? Uh, you want me to choose it? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to delve into your memory banks and, and think of uh, a song, any song, really, that uh, is recorded that we might be able to go out on. Oh, golly. I know. Golly, uh, Tall order, right? Well, sure. It... Why, why not go for 21st century schizoid, man? This is a classic. This go is, way back. This is a song you, you continue to play? We might play it every night. <laughs> okay. All right. This is, uh, this is King Crimson with 21st Century Schizoid Man. Uh, Tony, this was a, a real pleasure. Thank you for being on the show, and, and best of luck on the tour and everything else. Thank you for having me, and thanks for the intelligence of your questions. I appreciate that.
That was King Crimson with arguably their best-known song. I think that's at least one of their best-known songs, 21st Century Schizoid Man. That is from their debut release, 1969's In the Court of the Crimson King. I'd like to thank Tony Levin for being such a swell, thoughtful guy. I really enjoyed that conversation. He had a he had a, like a kindness to him that I appreciated. And, you know, for all he's accomplished, he's a very down-to-earth guy. Didn't you think? I thought so. I mean, I, that's what I thought. I hope you thought the, the, the same thing, and we'll go see King Crimson if they're uh, coming to a town near you. Coming up next week on Creative Control, Sharpling and Worcester are on the program to talk about their breakthrough year. 2015 was a big year for the, uh, the comedy duo. They put out a retrospective box set, uh, many, many CDs. I believe it is 16 CDs off the top of my head. And they started touring a little bit. They started playing shows which had never happened before in their long, illustrious time making comedy together, and and apparently that's been going well. They're coming to Toronto and playing other cities in the next little while, so I caught up with Sharpling and Worcester, and you'll hear that next week. And if all goes well, I haven't checked out the audio, but I may play an excerpted version of Long Night with Vish Khanna featuring guest appearances by journalist Desmond Cole, some stand-up by Matt Collins, and uh, a performance by... Uh, someone who's been on the show before, Eloquent, a great, great hip-hop producer. I haven't listened to the tape of the show yet. I trust it's okay. My friend Dave McKinnon records the shows when we do them. This is a talk show, a live talk show I do about once a month uh, between November and March during the Long Winter Festival. And we recorded this episode while the Paris attacks were happening, and I was very frazzled and sick to my stomach. I didn't even want to do the show. I just I, I felt awful. I'd spent two hours in traffic listening to the news reports, and I just did not feel like it was appropriate to do a show, but we did it. I didn't say anything to anyone, but that's how I was feeling, and in any case, you'll hear, if, if the tape turns out okay, I will post an ep- that, that, that uh, stuff for you next week, so that's coming up on the show. If you want to stay connected to this show... Creative Control of Vishkana is available at vishkana.com. It's available on iTunes where you can subscribe and review and rate and stream and download the show. It's also uh, on audioboom.com. You can do similar things on audioboom.com. There's a Patreon page where you can make a flexible monthly donation to the show. We've had a few of those recently, so thank you for doing that. Also on the uh, patreon.com, you can view some t-shirts we have for sale. If you want to buy a t-shirt, let me know, and I'll, I'll hook you up. We have some sizes left. Uh, Creative Control Vishkan is on Facebook and on Twitter, at Vishcreative, creative with a K. And I'm on uh, face, uh, rather on Twitter, at Vishkana. A version of the show airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph and the Kitchener-Waterloo region. You can also listen to it uh, and stream stuff and check out the archives of my show and all the shows on CFRU at CFRU.ca. All right, that's this episode. I will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.